Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We are in the middle of a brand new series called Wisdom, Start Strong, Finish Stronger, with a message this week from Pastor Lisa. Before we get going, our Life Path classes relaunch on Sunday, February 6th during our regular service. This is the perfect opportunity for anyone who's been coming to church for a little while or just checking out our content online to learn how to go deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Everybody is invited to sign up, visit our website. That's www.wordoflifeag.org and scroll right down to the card that says Life Path. All right, let's jump into this week's message. All right, well, good morning, Word of Life. Boy, it is good to be with you today. I enjoyed being a part of worship today. Um, I almost started doing motions, but I decided I should rein it in. If you've ever been in life, kids, you know what that's about. Um, Shelly Carl, that video from Shelly Carl made me cry each time I watched it. Thank you, uh, Word of Life, for supporting missionaries who are willing to give of themselves their entire lives and go tell people about Jesus. This is a great church. How many of you think this is a great church? Yeah, right. Sure is. All right, so um, we're in a series about wisdom, and I'm going to tell you I was incredibly intimidated when I was asked to be a part of this series for multiple reasons. Um, Nick brought an amazing message the first week when he was talking about King Solomon and how somebody um, like King Solomon, who had so much, wanted wisdom first. And then Pastor Tom last week, like home run message with no regrets. How many of you took a bunch of notes? And yeah, that was an amazing um, sermon. So I decided when I started to dig into the text, the same exact thing that Pastor Tom said, there are not a lot of uh, commentaries, good articles, good references about wisdom, and yet the Word of God is full of the idea of wisdom. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit of a different way today. Um, But I want to share with you that I haven't always made wise choices. Am I the only one in this room who has not always made a wise choice, right? Um, In fact, I've made some silly decisions, and sometimes I've really figured out a super silly plan before there was some sort of intervention or something that stopped me from doing that. So I'm going to be vulnerable today and share just one of my stories that I've, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly before, so have grace with me. Is everybody on board with that. I'm su- you, know, you guys know I'm super real and super transparent, so here we go. So when my husband and I first got married, like, you know, when I was a child, because we've been married 31 years, so I had to be a child, right? Um, actually, we got married in, in 1990. We were 20, and we were just kids, right? And we jumped in our car after our honeymoon, jumped in our cars with everything we owned, Everything that we got for wedding gifts that we could take, all of the money that we had saved in our, my little grandam and his Ford Fairmont, 1990. Okay. So we jump into our cars and we head off to Bible college so that he can finish school and we can get into full-time ministry. So we're driving. I'm following him. We're in love. This is a great time. I feel super safe with this big, strong man who I've, I've just married. And we get about halfway there. We're on the mass turnpike and his car begins to have trouble. Now this was pre-cell phone, pre-OnStar. Um, we didn't have AAA. I don't even know how we would have gotten a hold of AAA. We pull over in this stop on the mass turnpike. It wasn't the kind of rest stop that had a restroom and a Dunkin' Donuts and a McDonald's. It was just a stop. So we pull over 
and we look at the car. I get out and I look at the car. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I look at the car. And um, in a few minutes, this roadside assistant guy shows up. Mass Turnpike must have had that at the time, or else it was an angel. I'm not really sure. But this roadside assistance guy shows up and uh, realizes, you know, he and my husband figure out they need a part. I don't know what the part was either. But my job was to stay with the vehicles and everything we owned, which to be fair, wasn't much, but we had lamps in the back seat. We had all of our dishes, you know, all of our stuff piled in these two cars. So he takes off with the roadside assistance man. I lock myself in the Grand Am and I'm waiting. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And he's gone forever, it seems like, because in a moment, this gentleman jumps out of his tractor trailer that's parked a little bit ahead of me, gets out, catches sight of my vehicle and starts to walk toward it. Now, I am not typically a suspicious person. I'm pretty, pretty trusting of people. But my mother taught me from the time I was a little girl that if it, I was in a situation where I was alone or vulnerable, that I should be defensive. It's not bad advice, right? It's pretty good advice. So I watched the guy, and he's kind of slowly coming closer and closer to my vehicle. I'm by myself. I look. I don't see the roadside assistance guy. My big, strong husband is gone. So I formulate a self-defense plan. Really smart idea. Here we go. So I look around for a weapon. I don't have one except the cigarette lighter in the console of my car. So I decide, I decide, I'm going to plug that baby in. I pushed it in. I started my car. I pushed it in. I didn't want to leave because if I left, I didn't know how to get back. There were no cell phones. My husband no, wouldn't know where I was. And I didn't want to leave his car. You know, I have all these crazy thoughts within the whatever two minutes this took. So I pushed this thing in to, to start to heat it up. It starts to heat up. And I'm thinking, if he gets to my car. I'm going to crack my window just a little bit, just enough for him to stick his fingers in, and then I'm going to jam the window shut, and I'm going to burn his fingers with a cigarette lighter. <laughs> Amazing, right? Great plan. Fortunately, the gentleman was not coming toward me. He was coming to check on his buddy in the next truck. He had no idea that I was sitting there, and in what seemed like another hour, which was actually five minutes, my husband showed up with a AAA guy, and when we got to our little tiny apartment at Zion Bible Institute in Providence, Rhode Island, actually Barrington, Rhode Island, I poured out the story to him with tears, and I think he thought, I have married the craziest woman on the face of the planet. So, you know, sometimes when we get in difficult situations, oh, my glasses are here. See, you watch me do that. The kids see me do that all the time. Sometimes when we get in difficult situations, we're reactive, we're reflexive. We make poor choices, right? We don't always make wise decisions. Maybe it's not you're on the side of the mass turnpike, but it could be a situation with your career path. It could be a situation with your family. It could be a situation with your finances. It could be a situation with your relationships. It could be a tough situation, and you're not sure where to do, what to do. We all face tough decisions. And there are so many ideas coming at us all the time, right? There are blogs, there are social media posts, there are books, there are shows, there are YouTube channels that we can follow that tell us what to do. And so sometimes we take all that in and we get confused and we're not exactly sure how to line our choice up correctly. 
So this morning, I'm going to do what we always do. We're going to go into the Word, and we're going to see what the Word of God says about making good choices where we're in tough situations. So I actually have two texts. I'm going to settle in one of them today, but I'm going to open with another one. And I'm in the New Living Translation today, um, James 1, 1 through 8, if you're following along. And it says this, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. (laughs) For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for for when your endurance is fully developed, You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and God. And the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Father, we thank you that you love us, and we thank you that you sent your word to speak to us daily. We thank you that your presence is here, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. I pray today, as we open your word together, that you would speak. I pray that you would change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So James is speaking here. He's speaking to Jewish Christians right at the very beginning of the church. And uh, when he talked about the, the tribes that were scattered abroad, that was true. Because when these Jewish believers became public, they were in trouble. They were being persecuted. They were being martyred. They were being imprisoned. They were in times of difficulty. And so he opens up this book, speaking to these men and women, these people in trouble, people who have fallen on hard times. And he says, first of all, your faith is going to be tested and your character is going to be developed through this testing. So that's the first thing that he thought was really important, his opening statement. And then he said next, ask for wisdom. So his priority in this situation was, hey, these people need wisdom. He felt that they needed to be reassured that the trials were going to bring growth and maturity and that they needed wisdom in this time of turmoil. He tells them to ask for God for wisdom and to place their trust in the God who loves them and loves them with an everlasting love, knowing that God would give them wisdom. Now, the book of James reads a little bit like the Old Testament book of Proverbs in, situ- in some uh, places. It sounds like, you know, we have to work really hard and our deeds are important, but we also see the grace of Jesus Christ through it. They're mixed together. James was the half-brother of Jesus, which imagine growing up like that. Can you imagine what that was like? So, so James had, had a relationship with Jesus, and later on he followed him. So we see these Old Testament writings that James must have known kind of melded with the grace of, and love of Jesus all throughout this book. And he goes on uh, two chapters over in J- James 3, and I'm in verses 13 through 18. And it says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, it reads a little bit like Proverbs, but listen to this. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such 
wisdom, he puts it in quotations, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So if you read all of chapter three, he starts this chapter out, he talks about how concerned he is about false teachers. He talks about division in the church. And then he goes into this teaching about controlling the tongue. So I don't think it's an accident that he follows his concern for this division, this heresy, this gossip, all these things that are going on. He follows this up with a teaching of wisdom because the two go hand in hand, right? If we're living in God's wisdom, we're going to be able to control our tongues and we're going to know when there's false teaching, but I'm going to hang out on the teaching on wisdom here. So we see a contrast here between wisdom that is earthly and wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that comes from our own selfish desires, our ambition, or he says, even from a demonic place is different from the wisdom of God. And he gives some measures we can use, some guidelines to see if when we're making choices, especially in tough decisions, right? Tough circumstances when we have to make a choice. He gives some guidelines, some measures to help us figure out if we're making a wise choice. And I'm calling them simple questions for tough decisions. My husband advised me that using questions as my points is not hermeneutically correct, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I love you, honey. So, Let's look again at part of this passage, James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. It says this, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of any kind. So when we're faced with a tough decision and we want to make a wise choice, here's the first question we need to ask. Does my choice or thought align with God's word? Does my choice or thought align with God's word? Now, this seems super simple, super basic, right? But when we're in the tough stuff, when we're trying to make a decision and all this stuff is going around us, sometimes we think, well, that looks like a good way to do it. That might work. It's working for this guy. And so we need to make sure that it aligns with God's word, or is it based in my own ideas, or the ideas of others, or even in sin? The Life Application Study Bible says this about this passage. Selfish ambition is the desire to live for oneself and no one or nothing else, only for what we can get out of it. In our desperate attempts to persuade others to see our point of view, we may lose our sense of reason and conviction and become fanatical. Then we will want to wipe out those who persistently oppose or disagree with us. This leads to bitterness. We want to win. We want to be right to have the last word at all cost. This is what it means to be selfishly ambitious. Now, my default and your default is to be selfish because we have a sin nature. My mother, again, the wisdom of Mary Zare, my mother says, you do not have to teach a child how to be selfish or disobedient. They already know, right? 
They already know. You don't have to teach them. They figure it out really quickly. That's because we are born with a sin nature. Everyone born since the fall of man has a sin nature, and we know how to be selfish. But we can choose to allow the wisdom that comes from God to work in our hearts and our minds and then our choices. And when we do that, our character becomes less at the forefront and his becomes more at the forefront. Because God's word never changes, his character never changes. And when we seek him for wisdom, he is going to show up. Proverbs 2, 6 says this, For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. God's word contains such rich wisdom. That is so hard for me to say. I've stumbled over it every time I've said it. God's word contains such rich wisdom. In fact, what I'm talking about, by the way, is the whole counsel of God's word. It's really easy to pick and choose little bits, right, and kind of line up with those, but we need to know the entire word. That's why we are so excited about this Bible reading plan, little version plug here. You can jump in at any time. When we read the word of God, it begins to change us. It begins to make a difference in our lives. It begins to clean us from the inside out. There was a time many years ago when I was working in an office that was going through a ton of changes. And people were afraid for their jobs. They were afraid for the, what was going to happen. And it was chaotic. And we were being kind of pushed together. People who didn't work in that office were coming in. And um, every morning was kind of a fight to make things work okay. And I was one of the managers. And so um, I, I would come in in the morning and do my thing and try to make decisions. And one day, one of the, one of the women said to me, what do you do? And I said, what do you mean? I'm the manager here. And she said, no, what do you do? When, when you come in the morning, everybody's complaining, everybody's upset. We don't know what the day is going to look like. You come in. She said, do you meditate? Are you doing yoga? Are you like taking something? Like, what are you doing? And I, I said, well, I get up in the morning. I get my coffee. I get my kids ready. And then I realized well, I spend time in the word every day. I spend time in the word every day. God's word changes us, right? It changes our character. His word has the power to make us holy, to sanctify us, to clean us from the inside out. And he can change our selfish ambition, our desires into his. And when we make choices that align with his word, we will be making the right choice. Pastor Tom talked about that last week. We can trust God to guide us and lead us. So when our relationships, our jobs, our finances, our health, when all these things are under pressure, we might have a natural tendency to make a reactive choice, right? We might make a, a choice that is unwise and ultimately will lead us into difficult times. But lining things up with the whole counsel of God's word can help prevent that. For example, true biblical wisdom will not lead you into an adulterous relationship, right? It violates God's word. God will not tell you to pursue somebody outside of your marriage. It violates his word. Another example, true wisdom from God will not direct you to hate your coworker or your neighbor. Right? That's not going to happen. Even though they've made your life miserable, it will lead you to a place of peacemaking and gentleness. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. True wisdom from God will not cause you to walk in unforgiveness towards someone who has hurt you. Ooh. 
Matthew 6, 14 to 15 said, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sin. He may help you with healthy boundaries, right? You may need to seek some counsel for that, but he will not lead you to walk in bitterness, hatred, and unforgiveness. It violates his word. So when we're faced with tough decisions, we want to make choices first that align with God's word. That's the first question to ask. The second question is, Does my choice or plan reflect Christ and his character? Does my choice or plan reflect Christ and his character? Or does it reflect my own character and my own selfish ambitions? Mm. James 3, 17 through 18. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Every one of those qualities are qualities of our Savior Jesus Christ, right? every one of those qualities. That's who he is. He is pure. He is peace-loving. He is gentle. He is full of mercy and goodness. He doesn't play favorites. And these qualities sound a lot like another passage that some of you may have memorized in King James, which I also did. I'm going to mess you up. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. And it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Friends, at the moment that Jesus Christ comes into our hearts and lives, when we yield ourselves to him and say, I want you to be the Lord and leader of, our, of my life. I need you to take control. At that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to change us from the inside out. And those fruits begin to grow in our lives. They're not something that we can produce on our own. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was a teenager who said, it's not like a grapevine sits there and goes, go grow grapes, grow grapes, grow grapes. No, he grows grapes because that's what he's designed to do. And we are designed to be in relationship with God. And when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, he starts to clean us up. He starts to change us. And those characters of Jesus Christ begin to grow and people should see those, right? People should see those. So at that moment, those qualities begin to grow. And spending time with Jesus, worshiping him, spending time in his presence, spending time in prayer will begin to allow those fruits to grow and they will become more and more a part of who we are. Where we were angry, we will become gentle. Where we were contentious, we will become peaceful because Jesus is changing us. Because our nature when we are in a tough situation is to act or reflexively or revert back to old patterns. We have to stop for a minute because that is probably not the best way to respond. And as we make these decisions and we weigh them in the balance, we can say, does this bring glory to Jesus Christ? Or does it look like me? Does this reflect who Jesus is in my life? Or does it showcase my old nature? Does it draw attention to me? Does this decision reflect the glory of Jesus? Or does it show me off? Am I spotlighting Jesus or am I turning the spotlight on me? Because ultimately, those around me need to see Jesus and not me. Before I am anything else, I am a follower of Jesus. 
Before I am a wife, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before I am a mother, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before my vocation, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before my family, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before my political affiliation, I'm a follower of Jesus. That needs to be first, right? Right, amen. Before anything else, our goal needs to be that we identify ourselves as a Christ follower. And our goal is for our choices and actions to be wise so that others will see Jesus, our Savior, first. So let our choices be wise ones rooted in time spent in his word and time spent with him. So the first question again, does my choice or thought align with God's word? The second question is, does my choice or plan reflect Christ and his character? And here's the third question. Does my choice or plan move me forward in the purpose God has for me? Does my choice or plan move me forward in the purpose God has for me? Or will it cause me to wander aimlessly? Last week, Pastor Tom preached about having no regrets, right? And setting our lives up in a way to allow for, for wise choices. This is a purposeful and intentional way to live rather than to just let life happen to us, right? There's two ways to do it. We can live our lives intentionally with purpose or we can just let life happen to us. We get one. We get one life. Only one. And we get to choose what we're going to do with it. We can choose to do what God has called us to, to live in the purpose that he has for us, to live wisely, or we can wander. Either way is our choice. But of course, without purpose, we're not going to push forward in the very best that God has for us. We have a sign um, right by, over our fireplace that says, live with purpose purpose. Somebody gifted to us years ago, and it reminds me often that my choices matter. One small choice leads to another small choice, leads to another small choice, right? True wisdom, wisdom from God, will lead us to make choices that honor him and honor those around us. Our choices will show where our investment lies, and our attitude will show where our heart is. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Our choices show where our investment is, and our investment will determine which way our life goes, right? So if, if our priority is our career, you'll see that our investment is prioritized in the amount of time and the focus that we give to our career, right? If our priority is the Chelsea Football Club, you'll see that the, nobody gets that but the person over here. You'll see that our time spent figuring out what's going on with them and watching their matches or the Buffalo Bills, those, those that, that made more sense, right? Did they win? I'm just kidding. So you'll see that our time and attention giving to, to that, that, that will show what our investment is. If we believe that our purpose is rooted in our reputation, then we'll invest time in making sure it's as shiny as possible, even if it means covering things up, right? 
So Jesus said uh, later down in that passage in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So Christ himself spoke wisdom about what we're supposed to be prioritizing. We need to prioritize the business of God's kingdom. We're supposed to place it first. Everything else after that, everything that follows will align with his purpose when we allow that to be our focus. No matter what situation we're in, no matter how difficult our environment is, we can focus on God's plan and purpose for us and our choices will be wise because of that. And so what's the purpose? What has he called us to? What, what's the goal here? Well, for each of us, no matter what, no matter what our vocation is, what our family life is like, where we came from, where we live, what our finances look like, what challenges we face, God created every single one of us for the same purpose. You want to know what it is? He created us to be in relationship with him. That's what he created you for, right? He created us to be in relationship with him. That is his primary purpose for you. He placed such great value in his relationship with you that when sin entered the world, he immediately made a plan to send his one and only son to die for you. That's how important you are to him. That's how important you are to him. He fixed our brokenness with his son. So once we're in that relationship with him, living with purpose looks like this. Philippians 1, 9 to 11. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So we're, we're called to live a life full of fruit, trying to know him better and grow closer to him. Not for our benefit, but for his glory, right? Not for us, but for him. Yes, we get the benefit of what happens when he, we grow closer to him and we get to spend time with him. But we do it to bring glory and honor to the mighty and powerful God who created us. And that will lead us to do the next thing that I believe is the third part of his purpose and plan for every believer in this room. And it's Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Some of you may know it well. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to make disciples. Not just Shelly Carl. Not just Pastor Tom. Right? Not just those preachers that we might follow or whose books we might read. Right? We are called to make disciples. That is the purpose of your one and only life. If one person claps, we all have to clap. <laughs> our, job, our job is to live in such a way that we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. If we make a choice that removes us from that purpose, if we're in a situation where we're, we can't share the good news of Jesus Christ, if we've made choices that don't allow us to do that, we've made the wrong choice. We've made the wrong choice. 
You are called to make a difference. You're called to be in relationship with him. You are called to bring glory and honor to him. And you are called to bring people with you to Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you what, church, he is coming back really soon. And all, that's right. And all around us are people who don't know him. They are destined for an eternity far from God. And I, for one, don't want to live my one and only life in such a way that I'm not bringing a a whole bunch of people with me, right? I want to bring a whole bunch of people with me. I want to fulfill my purpose. Any decision, any choice that moves you away from your purpose of a relationship with God, a life that brings glory and honor to him, and the ability to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others is the wrong decision. Let's say that again. Any decision, any choice that moves you away from your purpose of a relationship with God that brings glory to him and proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ to others is the wrong decision. It's not godly wisdom. Now, some of you in this room are, are facing tough decisions. We already prayed. I, I love that Sarah already led us to pray for people in difficult situations. And we want to pray with you up here in just a few minutes. We're going to open up opportunity for you to do that. You may be facing illness. You may be facing tough financial stuff, maybe broken relationships with your family, maybe things that you're trying to deal with from your past. I don't know what those things are, but you do. And I want you to begin to look at your situation in the light of God's word and in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ and his character. And we're going to be ready to pray with you. Now, some of you in this room, you have an easy decision to make. The simplest decision ever. Now, as I said earlier, because of what happened at the beginning of time, when sin entered the world, our relationship with God was broken because God is holy and he is perfect. And sin cannot be near him. And so God's broken heart created a plan right away. He made a plan for a savior to come, one who would also be holy and perfect, but he would allow himself to be broken to fix our broken relationship with him. Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and he died so that you don't have to be punished eternally for your sin. He died so that you can have a future that's not far from God. He died so that you could have a whole life, one that's free and full of joy and full of those things that I read about earlier, the fruit of the spirit in your life. That is such a simple decision. And you don't have to learn a whole bunch about him. You don't have to memorize all the songs we sang this morning. You don't have to memorize a whole bunch of Bible verses. You just have to make a trade, a really easy trade. You can say, I want to give you my broken life, my messed up life, the life that I've already tried to fix over and over. It's covered with band-aids. I want to give you that life, Jesus. And in exchange, I'll take yours, your perfect, sinless, holy sacrifice. So if you're in this room and you need to make that simple decision, you can do it. You don't have to wait. And we're going to agree with you. So I'm going to ask everybody in this room to do something we don't often do during this time. I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to do it in support of those who are in this room. And all over this room, in reverence 
to God, we're going to bow our heads. And to allow us to focus, we're going to close our eyes. And if you're in this room and this morning, you want to make that simple decision, that super easy decision. We've got a bunch of next steps that we can help you with, but that super easy decision, if you want to make that today to trade your broken life for his sacrifice and perfect life for you, I just want you to look at me and get my attention. I'm going to start actually over on my left, your right, and I'm going to start looking across this worship center. Just get my attention so I can agree with you in prayer. I'm coming over to the next bank of seats. If you're online, all you have to do is you can raise your hand in the chat or you can um, comment on Facebook and we'll pray with you there. I'm coming over to the middle rows. Anybody there? You want to make a decision this morning, the simple decision of giving your heart and life to Jesus and trading your life in for the perfect life that comes from him. Just wait a few more minutes here in the middle section. Then I'm coming over to my right, your left. Anybody here? We'll wait. Wait. Yes, I see that. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we want to pray with you this morning. And we're going to pray together. We pray this, this prayer every week um, with people who want to give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray that together. Um, Pastor Tom's prayer in this decision to follow Jesus. Here we go. We're going to pray it all of us together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. Be the Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate together with those in this room and those online who made this decision today. Amen. Now, folks, we're not done. You've got time. I promise you, as the children's pastor, your kids are being ministered to. They are in great hands. So I want to take a few minutes. If you want to pray this morning for any reason at all, and if you made that decision today, we're ready to pray with you as well. So come on up. We're going to spend some time seeking the Lord together. Our prayer team is ready to pray with you. Come on up. Come on up, folks.